Hello and welcome to Rocket Talk. I'm Justin Landon and we're doing something uh, fun tonight. I have two uh, excellent people from the genre community on to have a, a broad discussion that'll start with a book and then end with something much more than just a single book. First guest is Amal El-Motar. She is a Canadian author and blogger. She's won several awards for poetry and was nominated for the Nebula Award in 2011 for The Green Book. And she won the 2015 Locus Award for The Truth About Owls. Her nonfiction work can be found on Tor.com, NPR, and Lightspeed. Welcome back, Amal. Thank you. And our other guest is Cameron Hurley. She's the author of Mirror Empire and Mirror Ascendant, the first two novels in the World Breaker saga from Angry Robot Books. Uh, her previous novels, God's War, Infidel, and Rapture, earned her the Sidney J. Bounds Award for Best Newcomer and the Kitschy Award for Best Debut Novel. She's the winner of two Hugos, which I'm not bitter about at all, and has been a finalist for the Arthur C. Clarke Award, the Nebula Award, the Logos Award, the BSFA Award. Uh, welcome back, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Justin. So, uh, who's ready for Confusion, the best convention in the world? I am I, so ready. I am not ready, but I am oh. excited to become ready because I definitely want to go, but I have none of the prep done. But yeah. Are you going to go? Are you going to be there? I definitely, yeah, 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 for <gasps> sure. Um, excited. Oh, good. I just haven't, like, you know, uh, bought tickets or yeah, figured out my travel or I'm almost <laughs> details, sorting out details. Yeah, yeah. details exactly but I definitely want to go it's going to be my first like January con which mm -hmm. will be exciting because it will be winter I've heard like nothing but good about confusion I like everyone seems super excited about it all the time and that it's like this this lovely fun fun con basically that but I, I guess maybe that is because if it's a local con there's a lot less stress and anxiety involved in yes. actually getting there and it's become sort of like the cheaper Midwestier version of wherever world fantasy is. I mean, it's like that kind of writers getting away, hanging out with each other. And there is like the panels and super access for the fans. There's almost like a, it's like, what's the ideal teaching ratio from kid to student in, a, in an elementary school? It's like 20 to mm -hmm. 1. Like right. 20 to 1 pro published author to fan Easily. is probably yeah. about right for confusion. So. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's yeah. And that, and that to me was really the big, the big draw, like from an author perspective where like I literally, I go in there Thursday night so that I can hang out with authors and just like, you know, chill out and have a great time. Cause you just walk into the bar and it's like, everyone's there. It's like, Oh, Twitter's here. This is so great. And every, every panel you go to, you know, it's very small and very intimate. Um, but man, you, you go to that bar and it's just like, it's that, that's my like networking con now. And I don't go to world fantasy. I don't go to those ones. I just, I love to just go to, um, confusion because everybody's there and, and is there to have fun and to just relax. It's like, it's like you have that long break, you know, between the summer conventions and then the start of the new summer conventions. And it's a really good way to kind of kick off the con season there at the end of January. For anybody else who's interested, let me know if you're interested in attending Confusion. I'm running the Lit Program this year, so we're going to have a good time. Uh, you can find my email address and people can, uh, can let me know. There's my advertising uh, spot. We know Cameron's book is coming out next week, so the blog tour is uh, about to ramp up. What are you dumping on the internet this time, Cameron? Everything. I have like 30 or 40 posts. I don't even know at this point. Most of it is next week, um, so I should probably write those. Uh, so most of those are going out next week. Um, and then I'll be done by the third week of October, which is really nice because then I will not talk to anyone until confusion. So, <laughs> so it's going to be like, woo. And then, cause I get sick of talking to him about myself. Like Scalzi was talking about that online where he's like, man, I'm so, it's like, dude, I don't want to be any podcast. I'm sick of talking about myself. And I was like, yeah, that's how I am at the end of these promotional runs. Right. Where you just, you tired of talking about your work and tired of talking about yourself. So. 
<laughs> but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. It comes out next week. I've got a bunch of the stuff that I need to have done as well. Uh, but it's it's really cool to finally uh, finally see that one uh, hitting the shelves. So. Well, I, I for one am disappointed. I think this is the first Cameron blog tour where my blog will not be participating because I don't have one. Totally do have a you blog. You do. It's just called like, Just Landon. But yeah, I named your blog, you and you're totally not using it, it. Justin. I, I feel utterly slighted by this, and I'm not sure why you're doing it. I think there must be some kind of secret project that you're saving it for, and you're just gonna like build up all this expectation, and you're you have to kind of you know spend that capital, Justin. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. It, it's out there, but uh, yeah, I am not currently blogging. Anyway, so the good thing about this appearance tonight, Cameron, is that this this will coincide with your with your blog tour, but you don't have to talk about yourself. I know it's fabulous. I'm so excited. But it began sort of with this huge swath of reaction to Seth Dickinson's recent debut, The Trader Baru Cormorant, which is to say that people are having very personal and strong reactions to this book. Uh, and both of you have, have written about it on blogs. I have, I don't know, kind of tweet branded about it. But you so posted far, a Goodreads review. You get a Goodreads review. I did. It was only like a couple of sentences, but yes. <laughs> uh, so let's just start off like, you both liked this book. Cameron, you, you wrote a lot of a lot of words on the subject, but like just give us a brief like what did you think about it? Like So this one came to me very early. Uh I was sent an arc of this one in November of last year. Um Marco Palmieri uh Tor Books sent this to me and said, Hey, you know, it's this amazing like geopolitical tragedy, you know, this uh you know, woman who's working her way up through the inside of this evil empire to topple them. Uh, and I said, wow, this sounds like a book that was totally written for me. Uh, I had read, I think, a short story of Seth Dickinson's called A Tank Only Fears Four Things. And I really liked the prose style. I liked, again, he understood female characters. He did it very well. And I said, you know what? Send me that and I'll, I'll see how it goes. Literally, it was the third sentence. It was the third sentence about how the Empire brought its usual, uh, and I have the book somewhere, but how the Empire brought its usual you know, methods favorite of, soldiers, right? Favorite soldiers. Yeah. yeah. And it was the spices and the textiles and the what. And I'm like, oh, this dude knows what he's doing. Uh, and literally, I like cried through the first 40 pages because I knew what was coming. And I know like, you know, what's coming, you know, <laughs> how this is going to go as a historian, right? Like I, I have read this story many times. So yeah, so I, I ended up reading the story. I think I read that book in like three days. And I loved it, blurbed it immediately and sent it to Marco. Uh, and I kind of immediately got onto Twitter and various social media platforms was like, dude, everybody, you're going to have to read this book because this is masterfully done. I cried through the first 40 pages and immediately people were like, holy crap, I need to know what, what book made Cameron cry through the first 40 pages, <laughs> right? So I loved it. Uh, I thought it was amazing. Honestly, there are a lot of things, you know, again, that I perhaps did not consider about the book until, again, other people got the conversation started, but that was the best part. To me, what I love is that the reason I got onto social media and told people, please read this book, is because I'm like, I want to talk to people about this book. This Me is a too. book I want, yeah, I want to have a conversation about. No, totally. This is exactly it. Like, it's the kind of book where almost tempted to say that my enjoyment of it mattered less than how much it gave me to talk about. Yes. And that, I mean, and how much it gave me to talk about, about things that we don't usually talk about, that in, in fantasy, in epic fantasy, in, uh, in novels in general. Uh, and it gave it to me in such 
like brilliant, intelligent, like thought through ways. Uh, like it, it really, I, I really feel it's several categories of difference from like probably the best other empire book that I've read, which I can't even bring to mind right now because it's so thoroughly obliterated. Um, no, actually, that's not true. Like I, I might compare it to um, The Grace of Kings uh, by Ken Liu in terms of the the sort of depth and breadth of the way it considers empire as a thing and its mechanics of thing, but it's taking a totally different focus. So I don't want to make that comparison to uh, like, don't want to belabor it too much, but there's, there's so much that we don't talk about in terms of empire while simultaneously relying on empire all the time in, in fantasy writing. And to find a book that actually really delved into that the way that this one did and, and with the quality and, and cleverness of it was incredible. I mean, so even though it is a tragedy, like it, it's, it's thoroughly, uh, heartbreaking and, and, you know, soul destroying in so many ways, I, I found it was just so, it was doing such important work, such really, really important work. Um, and I was really excited to talk to people about it. And I was kind of disheartened to find that, um, that the conversation that I saw happening around it wasn't about any of those things. It was about something that I actually kind of disagreed with the premise of the way that it was being argued to like specifically the way that Barrow's queerness is, uh, is represented and the way that homophobia works in the world and all sorts of stuff like that. So to see people talking about those things when they were like, not even in the top 10 most interesting things that were going on in that book for me was uh, was kind of just gave me a weird sort of whiplash. Yeah. And to me, that was the most interesting part was realizing with this novel how intensely personal these reactions have become. Yeah. Uh, and it was when I wrote up my review, I started writing my review and I was like, holy crap, like this is going to get into some personal shit here that I'm <laughs> that I'm like putting onto the page. Yeah. And, and other people have too, right? From, you know, no matter love it or hate it, you're coming to it with some very deep and personal stuff and which every reviewer has owed up to, you know, me included, yeah. uh, that, you know, if I would have read this book five years ago or even 10 years from now, I think I would have reacted very differently to it. Uh, so I think it's really fascinating how personal a lot of those reactions are. Uh, certainly, uh, much more, I think, than I've seen with a lot of other books. I mean, I, at some level, every reader is, it's a personal reaction, but this one has certainly tapped into something, uh, I think, with, with a lot of people that has been like, either you love it or you hate it, and you love it or you hate it for often very personal reasons, which is interesting. And this is the thing, right? I mean, that's true of basically any book, right? That we bring, like, I love what you said in your post about um, the baggage that you bring to a book, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I mean, that's absolutely true of anything that we consume. And uh, there's... I mean, I could, I could go through any number of things that I have really strong reactions to and say, this is probably why. I mean, when, when Frozen came out, um, and you know how like the, the Frozen thing that happened was this enormous positivity and then enormous backlash and then, you know, whatever. But when I first saw Frozen, I was utterly, utterly devastated by it in the best possible way because I'd never seen stuff about sisters in a Disney film, um, barring Lilo and Stitch, which was doing something totally different. And in this case, it was like, I, there was just this, this craving ache that I'd had to to see something about sisters and it gave me that and it gave it to me in spades and it I mean if you didn't have that that sort of like just hole needing to be filled in you then you probably wouldn't react to it anywhere near the same way that I did but that said I mean that that, that personal stuff that we bring to to anything any media whether it's books or or uh, film or whatever um, in this particular case is being really 
sort of there's, there's a lightning rod of, of queerness, right? Kind of mm. orienting all of those reactions and all the baggage that we have around queerness and about what queerness is and isn't. It's a lot like feminism in that sense, you know, mm, the, the yeah, unbelievably yeah. tedious. I never, ever want to have this conversation argument about is it feminist or not? Like, I just, I, I hate that conversation so much because it's not actually a conversation at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just, you know, it obliterates the possibility of conversation because everyone brings totally different premises to yep. it. Um, and so in this case as well with queerness, everyone is bringing their personal experience of queerness to bear. And because they know that the author isn't queer, if that experience on the page doesn't actually jive with perhaps their experience or what they want from a queer experience in the book, then they're going to have a very different reaction to it, uh, I think, than um, if, if the queerness wasn't there. Or if it were another queer author writing it as well, so that you could have the distance of saying, well, okay, it's not my experience, but it's somebody else's, you know? There's, there's kind of that, that thing, which I think is, really needs to be sort of untangled <laughs> before we can even begin to engage with it. But just to say that, like, the, the personal stuff that we bring to this, because it's to do with marginalized representation, gets so much more amplified and so much more complicated and so much more difficult to talk about. So, What's interesting about this is that you, you talk about all the personal reactions people have brought to this book, and I have said that I didn't particularly enjoy the book, although, like you all, I find that uh, there's lots to talk about, which is always good, uh, mm-hmm. and I enjoy books that allow me to do that because, hey, I run a podcast, but it, I didn't really enjoy the book or love the book uh, as, as many did. And I don't feel like my reaction is particularly personal one way or the other. Like, I actually have very impersonal feelings about this book. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that interesting because most of the people I have noticed who have been having very intense feelings about this book are imprinting on the protagonist in a certain way due to shared mm-hmm. experiences or shared uh, worldviews or, 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 or what have you. And I'd be curious, have any of you noticed any men having very visceral reactions to this book? I, I haven't. I think Max Gladstone was really affected by it. Okay. Um, he loved it, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's the one who first recommended it to me, actually. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, uh, and, and I, most of it's been yeah, it hasn't been that that personal. Again, the the only man that I've talked to who had a real personal like everyone should read this and this amazing thing was was gay. So so I am interested. Yeah, as far as like a lot of you know straight guys have been like, oh, this is a really amazing tragedy. Everyone should read mm-hmm. it. It's really well written. But yeah, as far as that personal. Right. You know, there, there, is, know. there is something that a lot of queer writers, either you really, queer writers, readers, you, like you really love it and like you identify with it or you're like, that this sucks and screw this. I don't know. It's been, it's been really, and I think that's, it's really, uh, like one or the other. I mean, Amal, have you seen that? Like, has it really been one or the other? Have there been kind of more mixed? Um, I think that, you know, I've definitely seen more mixed reactions, too. Um, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, so talking about like straight dudes who've had reactions to it, um, Mm. Sunil Patel uh, reviewed Mm. it as well. Um, And he I think he he and I were more or less on the same page. Uh, He actually, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that he wasn't as riveted as riveted by a lot of the economic stuff as I was. Mm. Um, But in terms of the effectiveness of it and and being really kind of like, wow, you know, um, stunned by the book and stuff, I think he was he had a really similar experience. Um, Arkady Martin, um, Mm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly either. um, She wrote a really, really fantastic engagement with it yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, And she uh, uh, and and what she did was actually she kind of 
she talked about how she also thought it was a really, really brilliant book doing a lot of really important work. Um, and she also flagged up a couple of things about, uh, Barrow's queerness and mm-hmm. the, and the way homophobia works in the world that she didn't think were as effective, but they weren't deal breakers for her at all. Um, she thought that they could have been done better, but, uh, they didn't kind of, she didn't have a visceral reaction to them, uh, in the way that, um, that some other reviewers did. I think for me, where the book fell short, mm-hmm. uh, in this regard, particularly this regard, is that as I read it, I felt like the violence uh, of the world toward queerness mm-hmm. was utilized in a way that is very similar to how white men and everybody else in epic fantasy for decades has used rape to to create a villain. Mm-hmm. And huh. the Empire... Which is, I thought was an interesting, yeah, a fascinating... Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Empire, mm-hmm. to me, in this book has a lot of other things that it does that are very fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. particularly the eugenics, but other stuff, too, that is mm-hmm. really fucked up, but that, in my opinion, is almost given a free pass within the context of the book, because the focus is so intensely placed on villainizing them for their violence toward queerness. And I believe that, for me, that felt a little cheap, because, as you, as you know, like, colonialism and empire, there are all kinds of horrible things that are going on there, cultural erasure that I think mm-hmm. in many ways is is glossed over because we're so fixated, because the protagonist is so fixated on this other issue. Right, yes. And, and of course, we're only given her perspective, so maybe yeah. that's mm-hmm. part of the explanation. But for me, it just felt, it felt very similar to, to the, to the I don't know, the rape trap, if you will, that yeah. we see so many. Well, there's, there's a difference to me, though, um, in the way those things are deployed, uh, and one that I really appreciated. One of the things that really knocks me out of a book increasingly lately, um, that I just, I, I, and this is, again, one of my really personal reactions and baggage that I bring to a book, I am increasingly incapable of reading rape scenes. Like, I just, I, mm-hmm. I just get, like, they are totally a deal breaker for me. I just, if I never ever read yeah. another rape scene again, I would be totally happy. Um, and I don't, like, it's, it's one of those things where artistic merit, whatever, blah, 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 I don't give a mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to read it. Um, and this book never actually showed that. It never, like, all the violence done to, uh, done to queer people is not shown. It's this kind of, uh, it's a structure that Baru mm-hmm. knows she's trapped within. Um, and you see the people who dole that sort of violence out. You see the places where it happens. Um, but you're never actually shown it happening to a person. There's no, so in that sense, it never feels gratuitous. Um, the way that, uh, the way that, the way that rape in, in epic medieval fantasy is often, like, you know, in George R. R. Martin's books, uh, the way that it's like, you know, a constant plot device. I didn't feel that that's what was going on here. In fact, what I felt about the homophobia in this book was that it's actually um, a hang-up that the Empire has that is super irrational. Uh, it's it's one of those things where, like, the Empire is as successful as it is in part because of its sort of inexorable logic, right? Order being preferable to disorder. It's really, really good at order. And, uh, and everything that it does has a kind of logic in order to safeguard that order. The one thing that doesn't really seem to fit that is its sort of obsessive, um, perspective on queerness. And as the book goes on and you can, this is like, 
spoilers, uh, <laughs> uh, as you kind of learn more about the cabal that controls everything and you realize that actually all that homophobia seems to be down to like one or two people in that cabal, it makes so much more sense to me. Um, and as a structure, I found that really interesting as well. Uh, the, the, the way that those things kind of like the idea of this whole empire as, as actually having these central cogs, uh, with, with no faces, cause it's the masquerade, but like, anyway, I know this is going to get too complicated for me to think of, but the point is, I, d- I didn't, I didn't think it was straight up one for one the way that, uh, rape gets deployed in fantasy. I thought it was more complicated than that. And that this is in fact, um, going to be one of the means of taking the empire down because it makes no sense within its larger overarching structure. Um, to continue to enforce this as, as viciously as it does. You know, it's so funny because, uh, I came to this book having, when, when I was doing undergraduate work, one of my jobs was I worked at the University of Alaska Press. And my job was to scan in, um, the diaries of Christian missionaries who had gone up into, uh, the Alaskan wilderness and went out to convert Native Americans to Christianity. And so I had to go through all of these to make sure that there weren't any like errors in the text, right? So that meant I had to read all of these Christian missionary journals. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Hot. Uh, so you can imagine. How to write the other. Delicious, <laughs> wonderful, fantastic things I saw in there. Uh, so it's really, it was very interesting, which is why I love, again, to see everyone's reactions to this. Because, man, I saw reactions to this and I was just like, well, yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And I just kind of like, boop, like it just was, was off, you know, my radar. Uh, and looking back on it, yeah, you know, as a writer and a world builder myself, you know, my God's War books, uh, have some taboos against, you know, homosexuality, uh, either, you know, for, in various different, different ways, because they're based on Abrahamic religions with, which often have, you know, those sort of prescriptions against homosexuality. Uh, but, you know, in my, my world record books, there really aren't because, you know, it's a fantasy and, and they're not based sort of on those quote unquote real world religions. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at that and I said, well, okay, I can see this, you know, with Trader Bear Cormorant where this is a fantasy world. Where is this coming from? There was no like organic place where it's coming from, except that, Hey, isn't this an interesting thing for us to explore? So from a world building writing perspective, I could see that, but it was like, so like, not what this, and it was an aspect of the book, but it was not what the book was about. It was about mm. joining the empire to destroy mm. the empire. Like yeah. you are becoming and pretending to be everything you hate and you want to destroy in order to destroy it. And is that making you evil or exactly. are you actually right? And that to me was the, the huge driving power. And so to, to have it kind of the conversation shift to sort of this other thing that I felt was very tangential was really mm-hmm. interesting. Again, everyone's reading is totally valid and I mm-hmm. absolutely respect everyone's opinion. Uh, but it was very interesting to me to be like, wow, like I was totally obsessed with this. And I, you know, is someone coming up through the empire? And, and again, that again, the, the reviewer, uh, Amal, he would just, just, you just talked about who, uh, had written the review about, yeah, like, coming up through these straight structures, right? And yeah. to be powerful, I feel that as a writer, right? Like yeah. finally I'm I'm getting to be this point where people are listening to me and they read my blog and it's wonderful and I'm publishing through all these publishers. Like am I, have I joined the empire? Right? Like yes. what have I given up, you know? Yeah. That to me was the central question. 
So exactly. And I mean, it's so, so relevant to queer people. Exactly. I, I love that Arkady brought that up. And maybe just in the, in the show notes or something, you can link to her really amazing post. It's exactly that. It's, it's this constant. I mean, there are so many ways in which we can think about the ways in which we've become complicit. You know, we have to ask this question constantly. Um, like, God, just yesterday I was reading, um, Yesterday, a couple of days ago, uh, I was reading about, um, there's this, this enormous poetry prize called the Griffin Poetry Prize. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, that was established by this, uh, um, extremely wealthy Canadian for outstanding Canadian, outstanding Canadian poetry and whatever. And, uh, it turns out it has like loads of connections to, Saudi arms deals. Um, and, and I read this really, really brilliant post, uh, about an article really about it. Um, talking about how this, the man who founded the prize, um, has a company that builds shock absorbers for shock absorbers for what are they called? Um, uh, LAVs, I think like, you know, they've sold thousands of them to Saudi Arabia and and it's like and and at the same time you know comparing the fact that bloggers get flogged in Saudi Arabia for having you know barely liberal opinions versus you know poets in Canada being lauded with the same money that ensures that those people in Saudi Arabia are put down and the kind of questioning of well where are, where is the hapless, penniless Canadian poet in all this you know how if, if, are you really going to turn down the you know, what is it? $60,000 the Griffin Poetry Prize gives you if you're awarded it because you have principles, because you don't want people in Saudi Arabia to be put down by their horrible regime. Um, you know, how, how do you weigh these things and stuff like that? And I, like, these are questions that I ask myself constantly, partly as, you know, a brown woman living in Canada, uh, under one of the, certainly the worst government in my living memory. Um, <laughs> like, I may bite my tongue <laughs> as I'm talking about this on this podcast, but I, I'm constantly asking myself the ways in which I'm complicit, uh, just, just by living here, just by being a consumer of things, just by, for, this matter for, for going to cons in the US, you know, various things like that. I, I mean, all sorts of questions like this, which I think, you know, even when we can't answer them, even when we're constantly at a standstill about, uh, about whether or not they can be answered, these questions, we have to be interrogating ourselves. And the fact that this book is doing that constantly and is having Baru do that constantly is just so relevant to so many facets of, like, of, life of our existence of of just you know being ethical people um and uh and and we love to have this idea of ourselves as you know individuals actors uh who you know aren't just caught up as cogs in a machine because you know trying to think of things in macro and micro terms gets really disheartening and disorienting all the time um and yet you know this book does that it asks those questions constantly there was this one point in it that i actually found myself wondering is was this a relic from a first draft that actually made it into the finished book because it feels like the author actually asking the character something like you know what in fact are your thoughts <laughs> you know who are you behind your mask it, it happens um i think like two-thirds into the book or something like that and i just paused on there and i i looked at that and went yeah no, i can totally see the author interrogating the character to figure out who exactly she is beneath this mask that, that she's got on. And I could be totally off faith. I mean, Seth could listen to this and go, no, 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 I, I totally just stuck <laughs> it on the last minute. But it's, it, it was this moment of really, um, fantastic precision 
of just realizing, you know, yes, you've built this huge fantasy structure around it, but it's in order to be able to ask this question, you know, to what extent can you do these things in the service of your principles without actually destroying yourself? Is it even possible? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So as we've established, there have been some wide ranging opinions on this book. Uh, my own being a more moderate one, I guess. I'm somewhere, I'm, I'm sitting in the middle ground, which is kind of rare for me. But I think it begs the larger question, which we touched on kind of when we first started talking about the book. And, and that is that online, particularly, we have developed this, uh, this conversation around books. And, and I think what we've seen with, uh, Trader is indicative of it, but it's also happened recently with The Fifth Season by uh, Nora Jemison, and I'm sure if I sat here and thought about it for a minute, I could probably come up with a half a dozen other books where we've had this kind of thing. I mean, certainly, like, a a great example is Mark Lawrence's Prince of Thorns, right? Mm. Uh, Where we had, like, these two vastly different reactions between various groups of people, and we've kind of gotten to the point, I think, dangerously at times, where a review very eloquently argued uh, or strongly worded becomes the baseline. And then devi- deviating from this baseline becomes like this game of chicken. Like, <laughs> do I want to step out on this one or do I want to stay in the shadows on this one? Um, and I think it's really changing the way we talk about books a little bit, particularly in this online space. I think we're scared sometimes to express liking something that somebody else found deeply problematic for them. Well, and you know, this is, this is something that I, I've been dealing with quite a lot. And unfortunately, you know, this, this book brought it to a head where it's like, uh, what I've realized more and more is that if I'm going to blurb a book, I need to be able to stand by it because mm-hmm. people, you know, like look at that and go, okay, well, if Cameron Hurley says that this is okay, then, you know, I must think, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, so I, I really have, uh, you know, I, it, it's like just blurbing a book and endorsing it. You kind of put yourself out there and you suddenly hit yourself to an author who I don't know, right? I have no idea who Dick- Dickinson was before I, Blurb this book, right? No idea. And I, I, I prayed to God that when he said, and we'll have dinner with my partner, that it was a man, right? <laughs> I prayed to God and it didn't happen. And that is fucked up. And I want to talk about that because how messed up is that? That it was like, well, this book is only okay if when I go to dinner with the author, that they are actually bringing someone of the same sex to the huh. table, right? And immediately, right. like, I'm sitting there and going, wow, I can't believe that I just, like, went to that place. And I think that we need to kind of, like, start to interrogate that, like, as ourselves as readers and as reviewers and all of that. If someone does something right and, like, it affects us and it's amazing, like, I see us more and more, like, interrogating who the author is and what's going on in their business. And that's messed up. Like, I've been using my, like, oh, you know, I'm not a straight person card more this year than I've yeah. ever used in my entire life. And it really bothers me. It, it and, bothers me so much, too. Right? Yeah. Again, yeah. and like, Amal, like, you have the double, like, the double thing. Oh. Like, I'm brown. <laughs> you know? So I think so many boxes. It's good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Seriously. It's, no, it's yeah. a heavy weight to bear. Yeah. You're like, I'm just one person. I'm not speaking for all you know, whatever's like, yeah. but I just need you to know that this is who I am. And I still enjoyed this work. And that mm-hmm. bothers me knowing also, you know, I come at it, come at it from, you know, writer's perspective too, where when people think, oh, Cameron Hurley, that dude, 
writes mm-hmm. about women who have like breeding compounds. Like they think of that differently. Like the God's War books, there's like breeding compounds. They think of it differently if they think I'm a guy than they think if I'm a woman. And even more differently when they know that, oh, okay, she's bi. Oh, well, that's, that's okay then. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's either okay or it's not. It's either problematic or it's not. And, and we need to like own that. And I feel like there's this conversation that's happening online when we interrogate books that like, well, it's okay if you're queer that you could say that. I'm like, no, it's not. Either you are committing to a problematic trope or you're not. And, and it doesn't matter how you identify. It either is problematic or it's not. And that's been bothering me more and more. And I think, I think this, this book really kind of brought that to the forefront for me because people are assuming a lot of things, right? About the author where I'm like, you have no idea. You don't know nothing about this person. You know nothing. Like he's not very active on social media. He's a very low profile for a reason. Uh, and I'm just like, you know, like you, everyone's assuming things. And then I look at myself as an author and people, how they read my work differently when they assume different things about me. And I start to think and I'm like, Man, what have we, what are we doing? It made me really uncomfortable to, uh, to, to read people calling this book a queer tragedy. Um, because to me, that means a really specific thing. Uh, it means, um, it means a book in which a queer character exists only to be pitied, yes. uh, only to be, you know, a subject of slightly masturbatory remorse for a non-queer reader uh, to kind of be able to understand, you know, understand the problems of, you know, uh, and, and stuff like that. And uh, and I have very little, I mean, I'm sure at, at some point, um, you know, because these, these things are always part of a dialectic, right? I mean, there's stuff that people, uh, queer people would probably have been quite happy to encounter maybe 30 years ago in terms of representation. And now we've, you know, moved beyond those points and want something different. And it happens with, with any kind of, of evolving, uh, evolving representation of, of marginalized experiences and stuff, right? So I, I get that. But, calling this book a queer tragedy is like to me is so reductive and is and is looking at the fact that there is a tragedy with a queer person at its core as its protagonist um and saying well you know a plus b equals i don't know z it's just and and it made no sense to me because baru is not an object of pity at all she's an enormously well-realized character she's super active agent she's very complex um she's constantly interrogating herself but the one thing that she never interrogates is her sexuality like she's Mm -hmm. absolutely certain about that and and she holds on to that certainty with the same ferocity that she holds on to her certainty about uh teranoke about her home and how Mm -hmm. she wants to preserve it um in some way uh and she wants to you know she'll destroy herself trying to save it so there's all this stuff going on with her that you cannot reduce to that to those two again it comes down to ticking boxes for me and how much i hate that and you can imagine how much i hate doing paperwork as a consequence <laughs> I hate ticking boxes i just hate it but a queer person dead in a book does not now today have to equal queer tragedy it can be in fact a lot more complicated than that and people who um who read someone's reaction to it saying, oh no, I'm sorry, a queer person died in this book and I, I couldn't read it. That is a totally legitimate reaction to have. I am not yeah. here to say that it's not. Yeah. Because again, I like there are deal breakers for me that I'm sure frustrate friends of mine who absolutely really desperately want me to watch Game of Thrones. And I'm like, no, I will never watch that show. I've read the books. I don't need to see them realized for me in all their rapey glory. I just really don't. And it frustrates my friends who really want me to see the the artistry and, you know, the whatever else, the 
acting of that show for them. But I just, it's not enough for me to justify the other stuff that I know I won't be able to deal with. So I have a huge amount of like respect for someone just saying, just noping on out of that and saying, I'm sorry, I heard a queer person died in it. And I just don't want to read those narratives. I don't want to see people who are queer having to suffer. I deal with that enough in my day to day life, you know, that's fair dues, totally. Um, so, but, but the problem is when, when it comes to the person who, who creates that experience, um, hugely inflecting the, the reading experience, that does really bother me because, and not, not just because of the fact that, you know, we keep on talking about how we want people who are not of a certain, access of marginalization to be able to write other experiences because that's like what a writer is. It's being empathic. It's actually being <laughs> yes. able to tell yeah. other stories. Um, you know, we can't say that with one side of our mouths. And then when someone actually does it, uh, and does it in, in my view tremendously well, say, you shouldn't have done that. You should have left it for a queer person to do. Like, I don't think that's fair. And, and absolutely criticize it, you know, criticize it and say where it, it fell short or not. But this is again where my problem is. If I, as a queer person, look at that narrative and see something to identify with and actually feel it very strongly, and, and then I don't want to have to be put in the position of saying I, as a queer person, felt this was relevant to me. You know, like I just I don't want to, and I have to react. That way. Yeah, I have to react that way because yeah. someone else was saying I, as a queer person, and by so saying, is is sort of tacitly waving a flag to all other queer people, saying we have decided not to endorse this book. And I don't think people necessarily mean it that way, but the way that these conversations end up happening, especially on Twitter which I love. I love Twitter. I'm, I'm on it constantly. But I totally recognize the fact that as a medium, it disproportionately shows us these sort of... Echo chamber is the wrong word. Like, it's actually sort of... Uh, it's like a like subtweets gain volume. So this is what happens with me. I'll be on Twitter and I'll see one group of people talking about something because of the new threading. Like I'm I just constantly that one conversation keeps coming up, um, and they're talking about how afraid they are to share their you know thoughts on whether or not the queerness and the trader bar cormorant is well done or not and on the other side suddenly like literally two conversations down a bunch of other people are saying that they're afraid to talk about how much they love the trader bar cormorant because <laughs> you know they don't want to actually have a fight with the people who yes, don't think it's well done and i'm like guys <laughs> like it's a book it's just we a can all book. love each other yes <laughs> yeah, like let us just talk about the book we should yeah. just be able to talk about it and say, you know what? Like, I, I, I disagree. I totally respect where you're coming from. That is not my reading of it for this and this and this reason, which, you know, might be reasons that are to do with my personal baggage and might be reasons that had to do with something I read that you didn't read in the text. Like, all of those should be perfectly valid. Um, and the idea that people feel they can't talk about it because of the sort of pseudo public e way that conversations happen on Twitter, um, and, and worry that people will talk about you behind your back or subtweeted about it. And stuff. it's like, it's just so frustrating. I'm like, just come oh, on, yeah. like, well, talk yeah. about the book. Oh, exactly. And, that, and that's what gets me, right? Is that like, talk about the book, right? It's a book. We're talking <laughs> about a book. These are fake yeah. people. Uh, and it is, it's been fascinating where it's like, oh, you're, we're pitting, you know, this side against this and there's no sides. It's like any other book where I'm like, and, and Amal, again, I'm the same exact way that you are where I'm like, man, if there's a rape scene, like I just, 
I really have a hard time and mm-hmm. it just really bumps me out. And that's absolutely a valid thing for people to say. And if people say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, it's a queer person and horrible things happen to them. I can't read it. I'm like, cool, no problem. Mm-hmm. And we'll go talk about another book. Like, it's not a big deal. And I think exactly. there's just like this idea that when there's hype about a book or people are excited, like, like they're afraid that there's like a mob <laughs> that's going to come <laughs> And I'm like, no, like, it's like, I, again, like, my whole thing was, I want to see people's reactions to all of this stuff that I, that I love. I want to have the conversation. And if we're all too afraid to have the conversation, then we're not going to talk about it. And I want to talk about it. To me, yeah. that's like the amazing things about books and literature is that it gives us this amazing place where we can actually talk about these ideas and about, you know, uh, uh all this stuff. So, so yeah, it's really, it's really sad that like some people are like, oh, you know, you're going to be mad at me because, well, I'm like, no, I'm not. I think it's fascinating. Exactly. It fascinates me that, oh my God, we read this totally differently. Like with exactly. any other book. Yeah. Yes. Totally. I mean, I, I was, I, the, I've sort of reconciled myself to the way that these things happen in part by thinking of the way that I reacted to Fury Road. In, <laughs> in in the midst of like so like you know in the midst yep. of literally everyone changing their Twitter handles to Im, you know Imperator etc Osa and stuff, um and everyone sharing all their memes and all those adorable things with Tom Hardy you know going hey hey lady you know toxic masculinity's got me down can we join you know all that sort of stuff I was looking at it and going I am going to be delighted by this movie it's going to be so great I've never seen a Mad Max movie before but you know people are literally walking out of the theater and walking straight back in to see it again so clearly it must be really triumphant and 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 great and you know full of catharsis and all sorts of lovely things and uh and I went to see it and and I came out feeling so so miserable and so upset and just going that that wasn't no it didn't make me happy at all I don't understand why people enjoy it I mean like see I loved it and we can still talk still have conversations it's a miracle knives at dawn knives at dawn all right <laughs> very reminded of ancillary justice when that yeah. came out. I mean, I, I remember uh, Liz and, and myself and others were like, this is the, this is the best thing since sliced bread, uh, <laughs> to use a very overworn phrase, not a writer. And, uh, <laughs> blogger, blogger. blogger, we don't use trite <laughs> turns of phrases, but it came out and then like a lot of other people went to read it because, oh my God, all these people are raving about it. And they came back and they were like, yeah, didn't meet my expectations. I, you know, it, it was okay, or I didn't even really like it. And they almost said it like, it was like, uh, like, I'm just sliding into the Twitter timeline here with like, <laughs> may not have been the best book ever. And then like, it, you know, nobody bit their head off. Yeah. I really didn't like that book. Nobody bit their head off. This yeah. fucking book sucks. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, you know, it's like they're testing the waters to see like how far they can go. I do think there's some nervousness among people and i know i have suffered from this before too and and i mentioned prince of thorns earlier kind of offhand but i'm but seriously like that book Mm. took quite an abuse from some people people like uh, amal who have very like negative reactions to rape Mm -hmm. because there's a a rape in the first page (laughs) yeah literally like Uh, we're like okay closing that yeah yeah and it's it's not long but it's handled in a very flip manner yeah I, I'll just straight up say that I haven't read this book, so it's, I'm, this is all news to me. So, I'll, well, I'll, uh, yeah. No, based on what I know about you after this conversation, I would not recommend it. But it, <laughs> it, uh, but I very much took a lot away from those books. Like they're tragic, they're horrible, they're brutal, they're gross. But mm-hmm. I took a lot away from it 
personally. And I got out in front of it before maybe some of the, the more feminist perspectives came in and said, this book's got some real issues. And so I was out there talking about how much I loved it. And then I was like, oh, is this still okay for me to talk about that I like this book? Or, or should I pull back? Because I was sort of like, I don't want to be the guy caught out in front of this freight train mm-hmm. that's about to run my ass over because my, my opinion differs. Because I didn't see the horrible things, right? Like, it's not that yeah. I liked the horrible things. Or it things. didn't I bother just, you. If you saw just, them yeah. even, if you saw them, it didn't bother you. Yeah. Right. I just bre- I breezed right past them. But I do know a lot of people are nervous and scared about expressing things that other people think are really bad or, or troublesome on a social level. At the end of the day, like all of us on social media are only as relevant as the social power that others give to us. And if we start to lose credibility within that space, right? I think there's nervousness about that. There's definitely a lot of social capital bound up in the, you know, the way that you uh, take part in these big conversations. I think there are a couple of things going on with what you said, though, which is that, like, I mean, in, in comparing what you just described about your experience and reviewing versus what's going on with Trader, um, which is that, I mean, in my case, um, <clears throat> I, I read the book without having read any reviews of it, reviewed it, then saw um, the other reviews of it, uh, like I saw specifically uh, Liz Burks and, and Foss Meadows, mm-hmm. and and just disagreed with them. Just said, well, because both of those reviews, um, they weren't really reviews. They were reactions to, I think, like a, a few chapters of the book. I think Foss was just reading what was available on Tor.com at the time. And I think Liz maybe had a copy, but just didn't like just bounced off it. And so both of them were writing things that were about their impressions thus far. And I'd read the whole book and I was like, well, no, I, I just disagree with that. And I think that, you know, there are, you know, points A, B and C that if we were sitting and having a conversation, I would disagree about it. Uh, so I didn't feel the need to flag those things up because they they weren't relevant to me. When I started to see people talking about it as queer tragedy and that that was like directing them away from the book as a consequence because they don't want to read queer tragedy, which obviously, I mean, who does? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's super boring and terrible. Then I was like, hang on a minute. No, I, I mean, I, not only do I disagree, I feel like there's a record that needs to be corrected here. Like if if this is what queer tragedy is, then that is not the book that I read. It's just, I mean, totally not. And I feel I need to present myself as a data point to say that, no, this was not my experience of the book. And I think there's loads of room to not read it that way. So that I think is different than, you know, somebody pointing something out that you didn't encounter in your reading and you in retrospect going, hang on, no, actually, I agree. Because I think that when that does happen, that, you know, there's nothing wrong and with just saying, you know, this was my reading of it, but other people have flagged up this um, relevant and, and important thing, which as it happened, which now on reflection, I agree with, like, you know, I, I think there's room like that, that to me is still within the realm of having that conversation. And, and it doesn't need to be confrontational. But it definitely, I can see becomes that way when it blends in a lot of people's personal experience, their like the the, the vulnerability that they bring to reading a book. Um, and also, I mean, you know, reading a book's a really intimate experience a lot of the time. It's the, um, when especially when it's touching on on I, I talk about it in terms of, um, you know, getting punched where you where you're already bruised. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that just people carry their bruises in different places, even when they come from the same source. So, um, you know, wanting to just avoid something that might hurt you is something that's that I completely understand. So sorry, I, got, I started rambling a bit there. Uh, 
you know, I think it's interesting. I've talked to several agents actually who um, rejected ancillary justice, uh, which mm-hmm. is very interesting because they said she felt too cold. And I felt that, uh, and I also heard that from several agents and from lots of readers of Trader Bear Cormorant. It was just too cold for me. Um, I also heard people say that about, uh, Jeff Vandermeer's, uh, book, the first one in the series, Annihilation, I think was mm-hmm. the first one. Um, right, yeah. where they said, oh, she's just too cold. Uh, what a lot of people don't, didn't understand, uh, or didn't like connect with or didn't grok was this whole idea of, again, this sort of very insular, insulated introverted sort of heroine uh mm-hmm. and i think if you are a very introverted or you know very introverted people or you are used to sort of uh you know either code switching or if you're used to you know hey you know i, I just need to kind of keep these walls like right around myself you don't you don't understand those kind of characters uh the way that i think a lot of people do when they when they read some of these other books like queer tragedy and again i had the same thing in all where i was like oh i i kind of disagree with that like i see i see that reading like i understand mm-hmm. the reading totally cool absolutely valid i understand again just like i won't read certain books because they have rape in them i totally understand we're just like you know this is some a, 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 something with queer characters and it ends tragically i don't want to read it that's great but like a queer tragedy to me is like albert knobs right that is a movie that came out in like 2011 about a, a trans uh a trans man who horrible things happen uh, and in the first like like opening of the book like all he wants to do is have this little shop and marry this wonderful woman and live a wonderful life and i knew immediately this is going to end horribly and he's mm-hmm. not going to get what he wants and it's going to be awful. And sure. And yeah. I skipped to the very end, right? I went to the very end. Uh, I was like, yep, this ends horribly. He doesn't get what he wants. Blah, blah. What the difference was for me. And I taught, I've talked with other, many other readers of, of Barrow Cormoran about this was I said, you know, Barrow had the agency that we don't mm-hmm. give a lot of people in queer tragedy. Like yeah. it was, you know, she's not there to be like, Oh, and you're going to fight your way up the inside and you're going to fail. It was. Yeah, you're going to fight your way up to the inside. You're going to sacrifice a lot. It's really going to fucking suck. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be awful. Yeah. But you know what? You can do it. You and can I, do it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and like to and, me, that was like, ah, yeah. you know. Yeah. You're exactly right. And I mean, it's what I think a lot of people gloss over. Is, I mean, obviously, Barrow has the agency, but so does her lover. Yes. I mean, like her, I mean, her lover has this, oh, I mean, one of the things that was most difficult for me to read but in you know in, in that sort of like when I, t- I i've described the book as a tar pit and that's totally what the reading experience was i mean you wouldn't enjoy being in a tar pit but there is just something kind of so just so relentless about the way it just sucks you in it's just like that that is the book for me the the, the ending of the book is also uh, a short story on beneath ceaseless skies right now i mean it's the end of the book so obviously like all the spoilers are there don't read it there her her lover is death it, the way that that becomes orchestrated with her full knowledge like with her lover's full knowledge and acceptance and challenge and fierceness and everything i mean that matters to me that like that all of these things that happened were a consequence of choices that they undertook together that is so different to something like like boys don't cry or you know like stuff like that where it's just like no 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 people they're, they're just doomed they're just doomed from the beginning because of this you know you know, the, this world that won't allow them to be who they are. Like, no, that is not this book. Yeah. That is just not. So that that is a point where I want to. But 
I mean, again, in the, in the context of this conversation, that's an argument that I'll have with people, you know, not an argument, a discussion, you know, a point of disagreement that I'll have um, with people who felt that way about the book. But I think the broader conversation we're having is the ways in which, you know, making those pronouncements about the book have suddenly gained a disproportionate kind of effect in the way that it orients reader reaction. And I think this is partly because we, no one has time to read all of the, the stuff that's out there. So when something is actually getting talked about, then there seems to be some kind of, like it, it goes beyond actually making the choice to read or not read a book based on your own personal preference. It becomes a matter of making the choice to read or not read the book based on what social capital you want to have within the conversation around the book. And and that makes me uncomfortable because I really feel it should be about, you know, your own personal reasons. I, I don't want someone to have to feel like, well, you know, I was interested in reading this book, but um, I saw one person, uh, you know, talk about how there was this thing in it, which I'm I'm not on board with politically. And uh, and so I, I've just I've decided not to read it because I don't want these people to think less of me like that. That's a totally baffling sequence of thought to me. I just, well, so you know, what's really funny. I had these same, and this is, and I actually had this discussion with Seth. Um, you know, I didn't meet him until way after many, many moons after I had, you know, done the, the blurb and stuff. But mm-hmm. I said, you know, I had these really similar reactions to God's war. Um, I had some early reviews come out and they were just like, this is bad because X, Y, and Z. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's a reader's opinion. That's wonderful. But I had a lot of people who took six months to a year to read the book because Mm -hmm. they said, well, I heard X, Y, and Z. And then I actually read the book and I went, oh, actually, I really (laughs) enjoyed this book. And it's like, well, you know, you need to find. And this is why I really like, you know, as a reader, I find certain reviewers where I'm like, I know that if Justin hates a book, let's say, that I won't necessarily hate that book. <laughs> right? Where I'm like, uh, so, yeah. so uh, there are certain, if Charlie, a uh, Charlie Jane Anders likes a book or a movie, especially, if Charlie Jane Anders from I9 likes a book, likes a movie, I will probably like that movie. So mm-hmm. I find reviewers and I seek them out who I know that I trust their judgment. Uh, and I know that they like the sorts of things that I like, because if you just kind of go away, oh, there's sort of this conversation or there's two or three people. Yeah, you know, maybe that's interesting or people are jumping on newsjacking. It's the thing of the day uh, But you know, really try to find people. And I think to kind of curate your reading choices and be like, is this someone that I really trust? And their opinions very similar to mine as far as like reading tastes or movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's really helped me uh, as far as like, again, kind of avoiding the, oh, well, everyone's jumping on this thing today. It's just like, well, but you know, Charlie Jane really likes it. Everyone else hates it, but Charlie Jane really likes it. So I know that it's like kind of this like slap dash, you know, 80s <laughs> inspired kind of, you know, slash pack <laughs> movie that I'll really like. So I'll watch it. And I love it. You know, so. no, it's exactly that. I mean, that that's the thing that I feel like has to come out of this when, when see, and I, again, I have so much sympathy for um someone kind of seeing a conversation and just kind of going, I just, I think I'd best avoid this because of these reasons. Totally understood. Um, but like, I, I do, I do think I just encourage people to find people whose, who, whose, taste is like your taste not whose 
ticky boxes are the same as your ticky boxes because the it's this is the this is i think ultimately my problem if you just look at it and go well because I, I saw someone um like this one of the conversations that was the, the flying by on twitter was literally something like well so far all the people i've seen who don't like the trader bar cormorant are lesbians and all the people who do like it uh are are dudes and i was like that that is that is where do i fit in this conversation and i was like i don't want to actually address that i don't want to like have to leap in and go play well, my hey, cards yeah play my cards right? and yep. then and then someone else totally did that on like yeah. they said you know, they were like, well, uh, Amal liked it. And I was like, ah, what? <laughs> now other people are playing my cards for me. This is not okay. This is just like, yeah. uh, so I just like, that is what I don't like. If, if you, I mean, if you have read my reviews in the past and you just find that like, I have like a 90% hit rate in terms of things that you like as a consequence, then, you know, weigh that in the balance. But if it's just a matter of the fact that I find women intensely attractive, then like, no, that just, that, that shouldn't be the only metric. You know, we are hunting like multitudes. <laughs> And you may not like punching, so don't don't go to that one, right? Exactly. Oh God, I have. So, oh, I'm trying. Like, I mean, I like owls a lot. You know, like <laughs> that keeps coming up. Like these sorts of things, we we contain multitudes. Are and there is no one true queerness. There just isn't. There's like this is one thing I'm super excited to talk to Arcady about. Um, because in her in her review like you know i agreed with basically everything she was saying but it still came to those questions about you know the way that queerness was handled in the book and i still disagreed with her about it and i like i really want to have that conversation to say that you know actually those things totally worked for me for reasons x y and z that is literally a place where my own experience of queerness is totally relevant to the conversation and and i need it to be relevant i need it to not be a thing that needs justification that needs you know someone else to say oh well you know uh you know the queers have decided that this is the way to read this, this scene is the so one lesbian experience this is exactly. the one bisexual experience yeah <laughs> and if if you know and if if you didn't feel this way then uh well maybe we should look at the other factors about your identity that somehow mitigated that and it's like, no that is not how it works we are this, it's not this bizarre zero some thing you know x amount of queerness takes away from z amount of brownness or whatever it's like no we can, we're not these equations so anyway that's you know what, um, what, i'll never forget when i was at the clarion west writers workshop i had this guy there was there was another story it wasn't my story but another guy was like hey you know i just want you to know about this about his critique of this story was i know lesbians and lesbians <laughs> don't act like this like like there were three or four of us who like cracked up during this critique because i'm like are you effing serious are you kidding like there's one lesbian experience there's one way to be and i i feel like we all are getting stuck on this idea right like there mm -hmm. is one way to be there is one experience of being queer there's one this there's one that 
I'm like, there's not. There's like, we're all individuals and we're all people and we're all coming to this very differently. And we've all come to the place that we're at in our lives very differently. Our mm-hmm. reading experiences are very different. And so it's just bizarre to me to some people to go, and now play your cards. And now how was yeah. your dating history? And you're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Right? <laughs> like, like, oh, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me. Another thing, like another facet of this conversation that I think is important to flag up is the fact that when there is a dearth of representation, it does make any instance of representation super fraught. Because just, you know, we see this with like, we've seen this trajectory with strong female characters, Mm -hmm. capital S, F, P, you know, C, protagonist, C, anyways. Um, With the strong female characters or protagonists or whatever, uh, and the way that, you know, we've gone from having that one exceptional woman who's supposed to stand in for all women ever to increasingly having perhaps more than one woman and maybe like a lot of differences among the women and, you know, stuff like that. And, and I feel like, you know, the same can, the same happens with queer representation, with race representation, where you, when you're going from the token to like actually proper diverse representation, there is this period of growing pains where every instance of representation is a tall poppy, you know, that needs to be cut mm-hmm. down in some way. I remember when um, when Ms. Marvel first came out, um, like when G. Willow Wilson's uh, um, Ms. Marvel, the first Muslim superhero, uh, came out, like, there was all this kind of, just this vast amount of attention focused on, ooh, what kind of Muslim will what she be? Of, I remember that, yep. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, yep. oh, and like, and, and people, there were loads of people before... And, yes. Yeah, but and Willow's before, not a real Muslim. Oh yeah. Oh I my god, that. that's yeah. the worst. That's the fucking yeah. worst. It pisses mm-hmm. me off so much. But like, there was that, and there was just as well anything that came out about what was going to happen in in the first issue was being cherry picked apart. So like, oh, she's got a fundamentalist brother. That's so stereotypical, rah, you know. Or oh, she's like the, that on the one hand, and then on the other hand, oh, she's an assimilated, you know, uh, Muslim American. That's like, ah, oh, why does it have to be that story? And it's like, well. We, there are literally no other Muslim superheroes right now. Can we like just like start with one and kind of, you know, move on from there? It has to start somewhere. And now it's super beloved because, you know, people have actually read it. And, and it's like, yeah, this is actually charming and wonderful and, and super great. And and I feel like there's there's sort of that going on as well, where because we don't have a lot of queer protagonists at the center of big tragedies or big epic stories and stuff like that, as soon as there is one, we don't actually have any other categories for them to fit in besides queer tragedy or besides, you know, um, not effective or insufficient or, or or the fact that, oh my God, she's a, a brown queer woman and we want so many things from that because we've had none of them. We've had no, like, so when there's this dearth, it's like, okay, well, the fact that she is, you know, this way uh, means that she's not 10 other ways and the the absence of those 10 other things becomes this heavy weight dragging down the one thing that she actually is you know um again and i wonder and i keep going back to and what if she was written by someone else and that bugs me that really bugs me and maybe it's because of how my own work is i like i've seen people write and think i'm a straight white guy and how they react to my work and then they realize i'm a woman and they're like oh crap and then they realize oh you're not straight oh and then they like they literally (sighs) I can literally watch the ways that they react to my work change in real time on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> like you really watch yeah. them. And so I look at them like, you know, if you would have thought, if you don't know anything about this author and really none of, nobody does, right? Who mm-hmm. has met 
Seth Dickinson. Nobody does, but people make assumptions and we just assume these things about writers and we go, well, it must be about this and then it's not okay because the writer is this way. And it's really, and I don't know why I'm taking it so personally. Again, and maybe it's just because of my own no. work, right? I just want to go, why am I reacting like this? Where I'm just like, it's a good story. You should read it. We were like, yeah, well, but the author. And I'm like, you don't know anything about the author. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, seriously, this is the other thing. Like, I've met Seth Dickinson once. I, I like, I, you know, I'm not, this is not me being protective of some dude I've met once. <laughs> the, the thing is, I'm, what I'm trying, what I actually do feel though, I, I feel really invested in this is there's something really pernicious about saying that only queer people can write queer stories because it is one of the like that horrible thing of yoking people to only be a being able to tell the story of their marginalization in some way you can only talk about the thing that makes you different you can only talk about the thing that makes you other and you can only do it in such a way that you know you're commodifying it for other people to consume as an authentic experience of the person who is being you know marginalized in whatever way and if it's not that then it must be appropriative and it, it must be you know bad and it's like no that is a, that's a horrible false dichotomy and it's and it's it's so unfair to queer writers and to writers of color. It's so unfair to to have to put them in this position of saying you are the only ones who can write these kinds of stories. It's a huge burden. And it forces like it's a huge burden first, you know, because we're all really we're all full of fraughtness, you know, about our own identities constantly and about being authentic enough for, you know, our families, for ourselves, for our friendships and various things. And to bring this added weight of, but this is your selling point. This is how you're going to this make it in the market. You right? This is, right? Yes. Like, yes. that's the other facet. And, and, and you get pigeonholed and that's all that you can write. So this exactly. is, this, so we're going to put a dragon on your cover because you have an Asian sounding name, right? Yes. And then it becomes yes. that BS. And you're yes. like, you know what? If all that we can do is that, like, that's messed up. Like, it's like, well, only you can do this and you can do this and you can do this. And it really puts everybody into these incredibly horrible boxes, Mm -hmm. you know, and I get it. We should be absolutely talking more about the work of, you know, more diverse writers. And that's absolutely Mm -hmm. a valid criticism. Absolutely true. At the same time, I think that, you know, we get really obsessed with these idea that you can only write this thing if you are like this, because that's putting us in boxes, too. And we're we're like, literally, again, you are part of the system that is making your own oppression. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, we return to the themes of the book. (laughs) Exactly. It's another reason it is so important, because you're constantly having to leverage your own oppression into some kind of thing that is going to try and help you along the way. And, And I mean, and this is another facet of these conversations that, you know, sometimes the only sort of uh, legitimacy that a person can have is in is in actually criticizing these things, is in pointing to these things and, and saying so, saying, oh, well, you know, a, a white dude shouldn't write, you know, a, a brown queer woman and stuff like that. And, and that's also super unfair. It just it does get really exhausting. If you write a good story and it resonates with me, I will talk about your story. I don't care who you are. I don't care if I know anything about you. I really want to share your story if it's a story that resonates with me. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, incredibly true. And is it absolutely true that, you know, uh, you know, straight white guys have had, you know, the, the best opportunities and have the, the are, are more more likely to get to this place and more likely to be successful because of blah 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 all these systems like absolutely true at the same mm-hmm. time when someone comes and they write a really good story and i ran into this with you know uh, benjamin as well with benjamin uh, mm-hmm. shudanku 
where it's just like this is this is really good writing and it's incredibly painful sometimes to say but it's like this is really good writing and this is a story that i believe in i'm going to you know talk about this story i don't care who you are this is really great writing it's a very interesting sort of conversation you know especially as we you know start to talk about what what do you know voices we what what stories you know really resonate with us and what we what we talk about and why it is that folks Hmm. even get to this place right is that because of some of the systems that we have put into motion the other thing that i that kind of keeps keeps sort of niggling at the back of my head is that when when we have this reluctance to have conversations or when the conversations that we have end up being really destructive like all the conversations that happened around Benjamin's identity and her writing and various things who ends up getting destroyed by those conversations is a matter of some interest to me yes. because I, I mean I, I do look at these conversations we're having around Seth's book I don't think Seth's book is going to be at all damaged by these conversations. I think if anything, it's going to like gain hugely from any controversy. It's going to gain in sales. It's going to, you know, continue to, it's going to be a hit if it isn't already. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, and I think it's, it's justly a hit for sure, but I'm super aware of the fact that if there were a lot of controversy around, uh, the author's identity in some different way, um, along a different axis, uh, that it wouldn't result in this way. It wouldn't result in people wanting to buy the book to see what the controversy is about. It wouldn't, you know, like, um, and that's something that's never far from my mind either. So, like, I, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't want to turn the conversation into let's all support, you know, straight white guys writing about whatever the fuck they want you know that like th- there are loads of mras doing that already um <laughs> we don't need help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't need any help with that but it's something that i'm aware of as like when someone yeah. does something so good like there is good important crucial work done in this book that i haven't seen anyone else do that's worth talking about and it's worth just not dismissing on the basis of of the no identity of who they writer. are exactly yeah. I think that's it right there. <laughs> there we go. That, I think that was an excellent. Justin's like, yeah, hell yeah. That was an excellent final summation. We began with confusion. I'm now thinking I might need to write a panel at confusion on this subject because I think it's worth <laughs> unpacking with a few more people involved. I appreciate you both coming on tonight. Obviously, uh, the trader Baru Comorant is out in the world. Cameron, you've got a book coming out next week. I do. Empire Ascendant, sequel to the Mirror Empire. I have it on my Kindle right now. Oh, very nice. It's kind of been one of those things where I'm like, really need to read this, about to come out. Really need to read this, about to come out. Now it's like, Justin, you really need to read this, about to come out. Yeah, Uh, a lot of good books right now. I will get to it. And uh, Amal, anything coming up for you? Mm, Just a lot of work. A lot of work that needs doing. Let's all all get back to work, shall we? Yes. Yes. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you both so much for coming on tonight. Thanks so much much for having us. This has been Rocket Talk.